0: everybody welcome to what is if you're watching this in real time the final video of skirmish week here on the YouTube channel so today I'm going to bring you my top 10 favorite uh, skirmish games so when I say skirmish game I mean a miniature game that you are activating individual models not big groups or blobs of units and typically you know there's like five to ten models per side that kind of thing and if you watch the channel at all a couple of weeks ago I did a top 10 collectible card games with my friends Marty and Matt, and I struggled with that one to get up to 10 games. This one was the opposite struggle. I struggled to squeeze this down into 10. Uh, This style of game over the last several years has kind of been like one of my favorite styles of game to play. Uh, Over the years, you've seen me review like Euro style board games, Ameritrash board games, social deduction games, and I've really been in love with all those different formats. And this is another style of game that it's just immediately, if if the new game comes out with this style, I'll immediately at least give it a look if not gravitate towards a, just a little bit so this was a little bit more of a struggle for me to get it down to 10. and to get it down to 10 i found myself really kind of struggling in a battle between the mechanics of the game versus the narrative of the game and kind of the aesthetic of the game if i really like the models and stuff that would give me kind of a, a boost up my list so to speak and so when you look at this list especially like the top five let's say uh, it's i can really interchange almost all of them even even going to the top 10 like it's a real kind of interchange there it's all really kind of dependent on more of my gut and my mood and what i want to play at that moment so the ranking of it like the one through ten part of it to me is probably the least important part of this list and the most important part is, of course highlighting kind of these different styles of games and what kind of makes each of them uh, special which is why i would include them into uh the top 10. Now I do wanna throw out one quick honorable mention before we get into the top 10. I'll have some more at the end of the list, but nobody cares about honorable mentions really. If I wanted to bring up this one up front, this is the Funkoverse game from the Funko Pop uh, company as well as the Prospero Hall Design Group. This is probably the absolute best intro, gateway, whatever, into miniature games for absolute non-gamers, absolute non-miniature gamers, non-skirmish gamers. Uh, this is p- my particular favorite set here, the Game of Thrones set. I think it has the most interesting mechanics out of the sets that I've played. I've not played every single last Funkoverse edition of the game. I've played several of them. Uh, this is easily my favorite, uh, the one that I've kept on the shelf. And I kind of gravitate towards the theme as well, which you'll see more of in the list. But this has the absolute in my opinion best intro ease of play cool mechanics cool scenarios all this kind of stuff that you expect out of a good miniature skirmish game you can open it up there's funky you know funny character caricatures and cartoonish kind of things and there you can have a lot of fun kind of mixing and matches you can throw the golden girls with the game of thrones characters with batman with harry potter with whatever and the ease of play and a little bit of strategy that's there is perfect so If you're completely new to this style of game and you're watching this video, or you know you have some friends that are really new, this is just fun and silly. Like, no, I don't wanna oversell the strategy, oversell the complexity or anything like that. It's very lightweight, but it's a lot of fun. Just a super lot of fun. So that's my one honorable mention. So let's jump in now to my number 10, and that is going to be Claustrophobia 1643. Here's the rule book. And I'm just gonna kind of chat over some images and pictures of miniatures and stuff like that and claustrophobia 1643 is really just a board game but it is 100 percent a miniature skirmish game now it's a two-player only board game one side will take control of the demon player or what's called the infernal player and then the other side will take control of usually four heroes Now each player has their own individual board. You do this kind of worker placement, dice placement thing where you roll up dice. There'll be some dice mitigation and you place them on your individual boards to activate the different demons or the different heroes. And you'll lay out these boards around the battlefield and they give you lots of different actions to activate. Now it's also supplemented by item cards and special cards that each side can use. If you know anything about me, I really like the idea of a multi-use card. Uh, So especially the hero player can play cards for cool abilities, but they can also play them to uh, mitigate and change the dice that they rolled. Uh, So there's a real balancing act between like, oh, do I use this cool ability? Do I, you know, get a better roll out of this and that kind of thing? So I like that decision space always in games where you have card play that the cards can do a lot of different things depending on what you're trying to do tactically at that moment. Now the play space is broken up by these large, huge tiles and sometimes you'll flip tiles off the top of a stack or sometimes the scenario that you lay out will be fixed. And what this game really is is a tactical two-player puzzle. I often like to play both sides where we take turns playing either the infernal player or the hero players. And a lot of times the scenarios can be weighted towards one side or the other. So it can be fun to kind of bounce back and forth and to kind of work out that puzzle of what you should be doing and the actions and everything that you should be focusing on that particular scenario. And the scenarios are fixed. They're going to give you very specific setups with the various different villains you can use or not use and the specific heroes that you can use. So this game has a real blend of your basic board game mechanics on top of and alongside a miniature skirmish uh, style game. So you're kind of blending that card play, that resource management with the tactics and the positioning and all that stuff on the board. And it's a really kind of interesting setting. So you have basically these ex-convicts or these convicts that have been recruited to go down into the underworld, into the depths and fight back these demonic hordes that are coming out of you know the tunnels and everything like that. So it's kind of really quirky, dark setting. Uh, but it's really just a very unique game that kind of stands alone and it really has that kind of bridge between miniature tactics and uh, the board game style game and i can't recommend it enough i mean it just blends all of those elements together in a fantastic way so that's my number 10 which is claustrophobia 1643. my number nine is rumble slam now rumble slam is a fantasy wrestling style game in a similar way where blood bowl is like fantasy american football This takes all kinds of fantasy characters and creatures and then mashes them into kind of a WWE, WWF, whatever it's called these days, uh, wrestling style game. So you have teams of wrestlers in kind of like different fantasy races, but you can definitely mix and match them. And you're going to basically have kind of like a Royal Rumble, but with teams and everybody's in the ring at the same time. And there's different styles of wrestlers. There's small ones that'll jump off turnbuckles, fly off the ropes, and big hulking wrestlers that are have lots of hit points and kind of act as a tank or a wedge in the center of the ring. And the game comes with this really cool like neoprene mat that looks like a wrestling ring, but you can also get these big MDF wooden 3D wrestling rings if you want from the company. There's custom dice and tokens for doing some of the different effects and for resolving combat. And the wrestler's cards are really cool. They kinda show you all the stats and how much dice they're gonna roll and their size and everything like that, some of the different abilities. And then on the back of them, it's got a list of all these abilities, so it's make very easy to reference reference cards for each of the different figures that you're gonna be controlling on the board. And players will make use of the entire ring, the entire board. Like you can throw your little guys on top of a turnbuckle and then they can jump off the turnbuckle and you can run into the ropes and bounce off the ropes and get some momentum that way and do different special effects. And a lot of the special abilities and stuff will sort of piggyback and dovetail on top of some of those moves. So you're trying to get your wrestlers in a position where they can execute some of their more effective moves. And finally, like mechanically, one of the most interesting things this game does is the way that it plays with uh, the initiative and how you're gonna start off each round. So at the end of each round, when the initiative shifts and you pass your initiative card over, the other player is going to have to make a decision and say, I'm gonna activate this particular wrestler first this round, and then you're gonna have to choose, and then you're gonna roll for initiative there, and then you're committed, each of you, no matter who wins that initiative roll, to activating that wrestler first, And then you can activate alternating after that, you know, whatever wrestler you want. So that kind of weird, just real subtle mechanic there, really does some interesting stuff with the tactics that are on the board. It's a really smart little thing there. Uh, But the reason I like this game, so I I had to pick one sports-oriented skirmish game to put on this list, because I really like Blood Bowl and Blitz Bowl and Dread Ball and Guild Ball is a lot of fun. But Rumble Slam is definitely my favorite. And the one that it just, it it has the most life and the vibrance coming out of the game uh, above and beyond all the others. Although I really enjoy, frankly, all those that I listed, I really enjoy all of those. But this one, the whimsy and stuff, it's just like flying out of the ring at you. And all the special abilities and everything and the way that all the mechanics and everything just sync together. And it's just so silly because it's, you know, it's wrestling, which is fake, with fantasy, which is more fake on top of fake on top of fake. So it just... gets you right into that kind of fun mood of throwing together this, I don't know, this mixture of everything and magic and everything. But the tactics and everything of it are really sound as well, because you have like the big wrestlers that you kind of run out and it's almost like, it feels a little bit like you're playing a large scale uh, war game, like Warhammer Fantasy or something, because you have these big guys out there sort of screening and flanking, and then your little acrobatic maneuvers trying to get around because they're susceptible to getting pounded in the ground and tossed out of the ring easily, but then you want them to kind of pull off some cool moves and stuff. So you're kind of playing around with that balance there. And the other little tidbit I want to leave you with is it has this crowd-pleasing kind of part of the game, which is really cool, because that's really a part of the wrestling, the showmanship part of it, where if you do the same action too many times in a row, uh, then the crowd will kind of start to turn against you. And then you also have these abilities where you can try to do this real crazy maneuver, crowd-pleasing maneuver, and you might get a boo, you might get a cheer, but it's almost like a push your luck thing because if you pull that off, like let's say you get behind, you start to lose some wrestlers, you can try to go after that kind of big comeback win by trying to pull off these really just crazy, ridiculous stunts and so that, Again, just kind of layers on top of all that other stuff where it allows you a way to maybe play cautiously a little bit and do a little bit, but then if you try to really go for it and try to do that big splash ability, and just the combination of those two approaches is a really cool, uh, adds to a really cool mechanical experience on top of all of that theme and everything that's all dressed up there with all the fantasy. So that is the number nine, Rumble Slam. Uh, my number eight is going to be Warhammer 40K Kill Team. And the new edition here of Kill Team just came out a couple of years ago. Uh, They've had, of course, a couple of supplements uh, since the release. Uh, Nothing new in the last probably year or so, but they have promised more stuff. And this, of course, is taking like your standard kind of Warhammer 40K armies, but then shrinking them down to just like one squad or one unit with maybe a leader alongside it and playing on a very scaled down uh, battleground. It's like 22 inches by 30 inches, Almost, uh, almost kind of a board game space. And you can use just about any army faction that's out there. They have even got some rogue trader factions that you can use. You can splash and stuff from their Blackstone Fortress Warhammer Quest game. And this faction here, this Mutant Gellerpox faction is probably at least my favorite looking faction. I just love how these guys look. They've just been living in a Space Hulk or a random spaceship for too long and uh, Nurgle got to them a little bit there. So Kill Team is probably my favorite way to play competitive uh, 40K. Uh, They've done a great job here of making it easy to set up, easy to balance, and really just jump right into competitive play. I mean, they've got the systems for building uh, balanced uh, scenarios with the terrain layouts and everything like that. If You can get some kill zone boxes and just get that, and you'll get like dozens and dozens of setups and ways to set everything up. Um, And it feels like it's the most balanced to me. My general sense of the community at large, you know, you throw out the salty folks. Uh, it's definitely it seems like it's one of the most balanced rule sets uh, to come out in some time. Now, mechanically, it also does something which I really like, and it's just a little piece of genius is, you know, typically in a lot of the Warhammer games, especially, you have this whole I go, you go. So I'll do all my stuff, I'll activate all my phases my magic phase, my psychic phase, my run, charge, fight, shoot phase, and then you do all your stuff. Well, this is like a melding of that with the alternating activation. So if you think of most skirmish games, it's like I do a model, you do a model. Well, this is, I'll do my whole movement phase and then you'll do your whole movement phase. And then we'll alternate doing the shooting and then alternate doing the fighting. And that blend of those kind of two worlds just really, really works. And I wish there would be some other games like this. Maybe even, I, I in the back of my head, I was actually talking to the shop owner long time ago and we were like maybe warhammer ninth edition will do something like that where you do all the movement and then all the shooting and we weren't really sure if that would work obviously it didn't do that but i'd be curious to see what that would look like on a large scale there's probably some other you know tweaks and stuff you'd have to kind of round out the rough edges with but it just really works because you have that long-term sort of strategic movement phase where you've got to kind of commit your troops this way and that way and get your positioning and your proximity to the enemy and the objectives and all that and then you can kind of be more tactical in the shooting and then the fighting after that so it's that blend of sort of the long-term strategy the movement and the positioning which is 90 80 90 percent of all of these war games these skirmishy you know battle games And then you have the tactics of being able to react to conditions as they're happening, almost like in an immediate kind of visceral sense, which is what you want out of a skirmish game. Uh, So that blending of that and the ease of setup is just a great way to just jump into kind of playing in that 40K universe. And it's just cheap to get into as well. You don't really need much other than like one box of miniatures, and then you're good to go and you can play, you know, three dozen games, (laughs) you know, with with that box of miniatures. Um, So it just it's just like smooth butter and easy and the mechanics are great uh you know you have got all those stratagems and the command points and all that stuff that you can use and uh, in the different faction special abilities so it gives you a lot of kind of crunchy stuff to chew on as well but the basic core mechanics and like I said that I go you go mix with alternating activations just makes it sing and it's just in my opinion the best way to play uh, competitive in probably just about any skirmish game, miniature skirmish game, or any kind of miniature game in general. This is right, it has to be right at the top of the list for competitive. Uh, now, where it sort of kind of falls short, where I wish it would get a little bit more, is something uh, to do with narrative. I would, there is some narrative there that you can do some kind of campaigns, and it's there, but it's just kind of there. Um, I think the system that's there for the campaign is is good, but there's not really like a cohesive narrative to kind of ground it and structure it in my opinion uh compared to some of the other games that are coming later on this list i think if it had that this would be way higher at the top of the list but again if i want to play a quick competitive game uh, you know just kind of a one off scenario this is a great pick up and play style game so that's number eight kill team now number seven is going to be gaslands here from osprey games Now here you can see kind of the second edition rules for Gaslands called Gaslands Refueled, and I definitely would recommend picking this up. I'm not even sure you can get first edition anymore. This is definitely just brings the game to the next level. And this game has custom dice for the car maneuvering, which I'll talk about in a minute, and also uh, templates, kind of like in X-Wing, or any of those so-called flight path games where you pick a template and then move your, in this case, your automobile with it. And one thing to note about this is this does not allow pre-measuring. So as soon as you're actually, your hand touches one of the templates, you have to use it, which is actually really cool because it just adds to the mayhem in the driving. And I'm just gonna kind of scroll through some of the Hot Wheels that I've uh, banged up and painted up and added weapons to uh, as I talk a little bit about the game. But, but the one thing I wanna t- take away from this is, this game is just super dead cheap to get into. You get the rule book, maybe print out the templates. You don't have to get the plastic ones. And then you can go buy Hot Wheels for like a couple of bucks, less than 10 bucks. You can get a dozen of them if you can find them on sale. And then you can just do whatever you want to. them. You don't have to actually touch the Hot Wheels either because the rules and the configurability of the cars is so simple that you can say, well, this one has a machine gun on its head and this one has, you know, a ram in the front. And because when you, if you play like a full like 50 can game or 50 point game, you're probably only going to end up with like two or three cars at most if you're playing like head to head two player. But you can really have fun with like just getting cheap like world war ii army guy guns or random 40k scrap or any other kind of scrap you can find i will say that the uh sons of anarchy board game which you can often find on discount that has like the perfect size uh little pedestrians and uh, motorcycle guys uh, which you can see i haven't painted up here but i just grabbed a couple of them out of that game and uh, these are like the perfect scale to go with those hotwell games if you wanted bikers and stuff like that But some cars you don't have to touch like you can find you know like this crazy uh, incredible hulk marvel car and a punisher car and just say okay well it has these stats and this obviously this incredible hulk car is just going to be a big ramming truck and you can find other little cars and things like that for a couple of bucks and it's it's really nothing to pick up and then find just funky shaped cars it's just so much fun to go through and just kind of create your own little character your own persona with these different cars and it you don't have to take a lot of effort in painting skill you can just bang it up throw dirt on it glue dirt on it all that stuff although i will never touch this ford falcon of course Even though this game has basically like twisted metal or like a Mad Max kind of thing where you've got cars with guns shooting each other, the game, I think rightly so, is really about uh, the driving. And I've played games of this where the shooting doesn't really come into play or it's very kind of onesie-twosie, but it's really about the driving and then controlling those slide dice or the driving dice. Uh, and trying to sort of push your luck and sort of trying to play with skidding out and sliding out and all this kind of stuff and To me, this is the best sort of template Movement game like x-wing and all those kind of style of game This is by far in away the best style of game because I typically don't like you can see this video here this is the miniature skirmish thing is 80% of the time gonna be my favorite uh, miniature style game, except for Warhammer age Sigmar, which is my favorite game. <laughs> but I don't really like the big boat games where you're moving like rank and flank, uh, you know, ships or, uh, or like, you know, the old Warhammer fantasy style battle games, like, or Rune Wars, that game, or like the Game of Thrones game. I don't really like moving those things around. And then terrain is sort of incidental. Like terrain to me is a big part of this style of game and dealing with that and so in this game you have the templated moving thing although next x-wing sometimes terrain is important but it kind of depends on the battle but that the template movement here the train everything is very important at least to how you set up the table you can run into walls and barrels and all that kind of stuff or other cars and The driving can get away from you, which is really fun in this kind of style of game. Or you can try to push the driving away from you so you can like go a certain turn and then slide out and spin and try to get that angle so you can get that one shot off and shoot at the other guy and stuff like that. So because the driving is so important, it just makes it that much more visceral. And there's been times where I'm like getting excited, like almost sweating a little bit here um, because of how the driving and the dice and everything is going to, uh, to work out. Um, and so just that aspect of it, it's just unlike any other game. It just sits in its own very unique space here. Now, as far as like the narrative, it's similar to kill team. This is, this is one I really wouldn't want to play competitive, first of all, but this is to me is better for like the one-off, like, Oh, let me build a little team here. And you build a little team and then we'll go at it instead of building up. Uh, I, well, frankly, I've not really scratched the surface of it, but the campaign and stuff where it's like a TV show, it's almost like the old Running Man movie where you know they're competing in like a death race kind of thing for entertainment. That's neat. I like that approach to it, but it just doesn't interest me to get into and do a campaign like that because you can get like audience points and all that kind of stuff. Um, the thing that I think uh, that theme it does well is it really uh, it puts the player in a position of creativity because I've seen so many just interesting sort of teams that people have come up with. I mean, you saw from just the cars that I did, most of them I just like banged up and they look like they belong in Mad Max. But I've seen all kinds of different motifs and everything like that from uh, the styles that people have applied to their cars. And a lot of times you don't really have to do much to a car and you can leave them cleaned up too like that's that's i think that's a legitimate way to do it and you know have a team of just different styles because you can do a light team of just like lots of small vehicles and buggies and have a bunch of cars or at least a few more cars or like have one team where you have like the monster truck and then the other car and that's it and that's your team and so the the, I like that they didn't just like say, let's just set this in Mad Max and just have that be the universe. Now, there is some new scenarios and stuff in the second edition that kind of you can play that kind of game where you have a little bit more of a, a narrative arc kind of thing and kind of separate from the TV show. It, it does kind of give you some sort of tools, let's say, to do that. Uh, but I like that they did that because then you get to see the creative team, uh, creative approach that people can do. Like you do like neon teams and, you know, bright colors and and very clean aesthetic and all that. So it allows for players to get into that world and just, you know, be a little bit more playful with it. So I do appreciate that part of it. Um, so anyway, that's my number seven, uh, Gaslands. Awesome game. Uh, number six here is Imperial Assault Skirmish Mode. So I think the Imperial Assault Skirmish Mode has to be the most underrated miniature skirmish game that's existed. Uh, I know it had some initial buzz when it first came out. I watched some competitive matches via Twitch on the FFG livestream. They were very intense and interesting to watch when the game was early on in its stages. But it just kind of petered out and I know the game is effectively ended, but you can still find these boxes out there and you get the bonus content of having a large-scale dungeon crawl that could be played one versus many or against an app. But as you go and kind of collect the figures and expansions for this, you're going to get like over 60 different, very thematic uh, scenarios that you can put together and build really cool maps for. Now it's not a three-dimensional train; it's all flat and everything. Everything is 2D, but the art on the board and everything kind of brings it alive. And then of course you have the Star Wars figures and everything like that, all the different characters from really the original trilogy era, but kind of a little bit before and after with some of the other kind of extended universe stuff, some of the cartoon stuff, you know, some of the novels and things like that. So you get to play as all your favorite characters, a lot of the cooler characters that are out and some of the extended universe and so on. But this is really just, again, a great meld of cool mechanics with cool theme. Now, there's not really like a long narrative arc that you can set up and do like a skirmish campaign. I mean, obviously, you can go play the dungeon crawl mode kind of thing with the dungeon master or the app and play through that way. And there's a lot of cool stories and stuff like that. We played through the original campaign uh, and it was fun, Uh, but it's not even close to my favorite part of that game. My favorite part of this game is the skirmish mode. And there's kind of two reasons for that. One I kind of talked about a second ago was scenarios. And the scenarios, they set up these kind of cool kind of like one-off kind of vignettes that you can take and have, you know, kind of replay something similar to what it might have happened in the movies or the books or something, or you can build your own team. So you can build kind of the empire or the rebel alliance, or you can build kind of a smuggler team. You have Jabba the Hutt with some of the bounty hunters and some of the other kind of smuggler characters and so on. And there's just a ton of variety of the different tiles and maps and things that you can set up. But then there's also these cards, which I'll show you now. There's this large stack of special action cards that you can get. And so in addition to kind of building up your forces and like adding upgrade cards similar to X-Wing. So you get Luke and he costs like 16 points and then you can throw in the special gun or whatever, the, the droid out the sides and there's an extra four points. Then you build a deck of 15 of these small cards And they're just like special actions. And some of those cost points, some of them don't. And then you draw a hand of, I think three cards, I'm forgetting. But you draw a hand of that and then you go and there'll be terminals at the different uh, parts of the map. And the maps are all going to have like different objectives and things. It's not just like, it's all objective based, which is, I love. You know, it's not just go kill the other guy, skirmish type thing. It's go and do this, and so this is your mission on here. If you're the defender, the attacker, you have a different sort of asymmetrical objective, but then there'll be these terminals and computer things around there so it'll allow you to draw these extra cards. So it's a balancing act of kind of, you know, fighting the other player, going after the objectives, and then getting access to these cards, which you can just kind of play at any time. And it's just, it's so kind of efficient and simple the way that that works because you just get the cards and play them, but you've got to waste time and actions and resources, mostly time, getting the cards and then you've got to be able to play those cards at a good time because if you just play them then you don't have any cards and you've got to then go back and try to find and get to a computer terminal which can get blocked off or you know somebody can move Darth Vader in front of it who's really strong you you know you don't want to get at that so there's a good kind of tug of war of the space of the tactical space uh, between whatever the scenario objective might be versus you know getting access to those cards which can be really cool kind of one-off abilities that are neat so just the whole balancing of that and it's, it's got that star wars feel to it which is which is what i like it's got the characters in there and you can set up these kind of what if scenarios like let's say luke and han are breaking in here and they've got some kind of random rebel troopers with them and then oh my gosh there's the emperor you know inside of there and then jabba the Hutt shows up or whatever you know so you can you can kind of play with those cool fun characters And it's got that really kind of efficient, streamlined FFG style rule set with the special dice and all that, and that cool kind of card play balance thing. And I really can't recommend this one enough. It's just so much fun uh, just to get those characters and play with them and set it up. And you get his other cool bonus content. So like if you don't have this game already, then you could, if you wanted to get, really get it and try it for the skirmish game, you're going to have this, all this other stuff you can do with those components and things like that. And I will talk a little bit more about sharing components across these games in a minute, but because there's an interesting thing with this game as well. Anyway, so that's my number six, uh, Imperial Assault. And number five here, another Games Workshop game, second one on here, is uh, Warhammer Age of Sigmar Warcry. So, Warcry, you might say, is kind of the Age of Sigmar answer to Kill Team. So, this is the skirmish game, kind of paired with the larger battle Age of Sigmar game. There's been a couple of supplements that came out about a year ago, and these supplements add cool narrative stuff as well as some other kind of quests and things like that for your campaigns. Now, you can use uh, some of the figures that are meant for Warcry. So, there's a lot of chaos factions that you can use. Like, here's the Iron Golems. Here's the Untamed Beast. These come in the original starter set and there's like four or five others as well. But you can also splash in figures from your main armies. Here's a couple of Flesh Eater Quartz guys that I've used as well as here's some Iron Jaws characters, which I've also used, which are a lot of fun. Although they're really slow, but they hit really hard. And so that's a neat difference between this and Kill Team. Uh, so Kill Team is just all 40k armies and then Sigmar though is like specialized individual characters and models for this particular setting and time place which is neat because you can play it almost like a necromunda type of game which you might see later (laughs) or sorry for the spoiler uh, and then you can throw them together with the age of sigmar factions now competitively i will say it seems across the board that all the age of sigmar factions will just absolutely demolish all the original ones but to me it's kind of like the same rule set for two games because you should play in my opinion you should play either with Army factions like Stormcast and the Kim and all these armies play with them, but don't mix them when you play with the uh, factions that are you can actually include in your Slaves to Darkness army, I should say. But I wouldn't mix those two, I think it's kind of two different style of games. I played uh, basically in two tournaments of this, and one was with um, it, kind of mixed them, and then that didn't really work out. But whenever we played it where it was, um, I think in that I was playing the oh, I'm having a brain fart like the Snake People, gosh, I can't remember. It was them, and then there was a mix of the, the two ty- styles of factions. And far and away, the Sigmar Ones uh, blew them out of the water. But when it was the basic Chaos dudes, those were really fun games. And then another one where we would just played it, and it was, everybody was using the Sigmar Ones, and it was all balanced as far as that goes. So, you know, light uh, sample size, but the general consensus online seems to be that you probably should keep them separate and then play with it like that. Um, but it's kind of neat, because you can kind of play two games with the same system, and have two different narratives if you want. Now, speaking of the narrative, the thing that I like about what this does, that Kill Team doesn't, is the way that you do a campaign is so different. I've never seen another game do this, where each player is on their own campaign. So you have your own quest, your own sort of path to glory, so to speak. And so we're going to intersect, and we're going to fight, because this is basically you're fighting in the... uh, the the, the, outside of the ever chosen's domain you're fighting in sort of right around the all gates and so it's just there's just nuts there's no civilization or anything here so no matter who you are stormcast, untamed beast whatever you have a specific goal on your way but you're just guaranteed to run into somebody that wants to beat you up and vice versa So you all have your own little path and you can just play random games you could do a campaign with like 12 people and everybody could be at different parts of the campaign and still be playing with each other and so if somebody goes and kind of completes their overall objective then you can kind of just reboot that and they can keep playing in the same campaign they'll start off with a little bit of a bonus but it will like reset them back and they'll be able to keep like a couple of artifacts so it could be this kind of never-ending kind of progression league kind of thing but without any kind of real overall uh, winner necessarily. You just, I mean, it sounds like a lot of like a participation trophy kind of thing, but I think that's okay. But depending on what your environment is, like what your needs are of all the players and who can get together and play when, like this will be able to satisfy a lot of varying different types of groups. Now you don't have to play that way. You don't have to play the participation trophy way. You could just have four of your friends and you play You know every every week and you play for like a month and a half and then the winner is the winner this will still support that as well and there's just a lot of cool other little mechanics and balancing things that this does to help support keeping people involved in the campaign over a period of time and I really like that and it but it also has that same sort of competitive setup idea like Kill Team has, where you can kind of draw the cards and build up balanced maps and all that kind of stuff. So it's very easy to do that quick pick up and play um, style competitive game. Uh, and so it works really well for that. And it's like the same size board as Kill Team, the same basic amount of terrain. And also kind of, this one really works a little bit better than Kill Team in that way where you have... The narrative side is, is is there. I mean, it's not a thick, heavy narrative like some other games which we're gonna talk about here in about two seconds, but you can still have it and you can still have that leak. And it's really kind of that perfect blend of the narrative and the competitive side. Now, this also has a couple of other real good, quirky board game mechanic style things uh, with some of the dice play and the way that you allocate for the initiative. Uh, That's just really cool in the way special abilities are baked into that sort of initiative dice roll every round, that's awesome. And then there's one other mechanical thing which i want to leave you with is, when you set up for uh, your day of playing or your scenario that you're gonna play, before you know what the scenario is, you have to group your team into a dagger group, a shield group, and then a hammer group. And so based on how the scenario goes, you might be deploying your shield group first and then your dagger group doesn't come in until the third round or vice versa. So mix it up. So what it causes you to do is sort of break your team up in a well-rounded way. Because you're going to have some, because the model count so small, there are going to be some characters in this that are just way better than the little peon characters. And so it, it makes you make a good decision. Because if you put out, you know, let's say your leader character is just a badass and you put them out all by himself, and he gets jumped and then the rest of your army is gonna fall apart because you're counting on his special abilities or just him to provide some cover or some, uh, uh, you know, provide the big target that everybody's gonna go after while your other guys do their work. So you have to really be careful about how you sort of set up your team. And that's just a really cool little nugget there in terms of making uh, making a smart warband and stuff and not making it so that somebody can just set up like this purely optimal build And just always win with that build um, because they're going to get, they're able to predict that order. So it makes you build a little bit more well-rounded, balanced uh, warband. So that's a really cool thing. So that's Warcry number five. Now number four here is going to be Relic Blade. Now Relic Blade is written, designed, illustrated, sculpted, published by one person, Sean Sutter. Uh, under the banner of Metal King Studios. And he's created the whole world and all the mechanics and the components and everything himself. And I should say, before we get too far ahead, there is actually a campaign supplement that you can get Uh, to kind of enhance the basic game and the basic campaign. And this is another skirmish game that has cards representing uh, units. And you've got all the special abilities, you can track hit points on it. It tells you what kind of upgrades you can assign to them. And those upgrades are cards, so those are gonna cost points along with your figures. So when you build, you know, like a 100-point warband, it's very easy to kind of just build it with a deck of cards. And there's a lot of other decks of cards that you can get with the game. And here's, you can see the relic deck. And this is one of the things that you're gonna be kind of going for over the course of your scenarios and the campaign in general. And one thing I like about this, it's it's a little bit loose with the factions. So you can have advocates and adversaries. Like I've got a bunch of undead adversaries, but I could mix them with some of the pig people or the water, evil water people or whatever if I wanted to. And then here I've got the more humanoid, the lone guard. You can mix them with some wood elves and wood people and elves and so on if you wanted to. And again, it just amazes me that he wrote the game, he designed the game, he illustrated the game, and he sculpted these miniatures. So I think Relic Blade is probably, what would pop into my head first if somebody said miniature skirmish game, I would say Relic Blade. (laughs) Because this has basically everything that you would want. And it's very beginner friendly. Uh, You only play like on a two foot by two foot space uh the world is just really accessible and easy to get into and it's it's very unique it's like probably one of the most unique things on here in terms of i mean you have pig people and water people and all this kind of stuff It's just very imaginative um and the mechanics are very uh board gamey in a way in a lot of ways it kind of reminds me back to my number 10 claustrophobia 6 and 43 where you when you activate a character you're rolling a pool of dice and then based on how you allocate those dice, those characters will do different actions. Like you you might need to activate this dice to do an attack. So you roll that and see if you get a hit. And you might wanna allocate dice to do a special ability or something. Or you might save dice sort of as a dodge or a block when you get attacked or use an extra dice to sort of aim and make this other attack better. So you have this little resource pool of dice that you're trying to activate. So the kind of the, the day-to-day, the turn-to-turn-to-turn turn, 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 turn mechanics are really interesting. But then on top of that, you have this cool, unique world, but also these really interesting uh, campaign rules where you're either trying to get influence in a certain amount of gold and treasure and relics and stuff, but you can also kind of flip that on its head and use that that sort of same influence resource to have like a map campaign and just do uh, fight over territory and stuff and sort of pay influence for that. So you can set this up in a way where you can have a real kind of tight linear narrative and tell a real kind con- of concrete story, which is something that I think is what pushes some of these, this one and some of the others here sort of up to the top of the list, is, you in the mechanics here really kind of support that. And there's a lot of rules here, similar to a lot of these other games, and especially like, uh, even in like a 40K proper or Age of Sigmar proper, where you can set up different environments with different rules and plug and play all of those kind of different things. So as you kind of jump in, you can kind of ease yourself into more crunchy, a little bit more complex, a uh, little bit more narrative driven types of things that you can get into. And the game will just kind of have that layer of depth there that you can kind of plumb through. And it just is a really solid package uh, in the way that it's put together. So again, so the reason this is like higher on the list than some of these others is you have that really good concrete solid mechanics with, again, solid backing mechanics to sort of help guide you in your campaign. And it's just it's just an amazing that one person did this. I know I harp on that a little too much, but it's just great. And it's really a lot of fun too. And a very quick and easy to play. And it's accessible the way you kind of use the cards to kind of build your warband, like an X-Wing or Imperial Assault. It just makes it so easy to like deck build or list build, right? Anyway, so that's my number... Fork relic blade and honestly my struggle here was between number four and number three because i can really i can argue one or the other should be higher like i said the list ordering thing just bugs the crap out of me so anyway my number three is kings of war vanguard and really relic blade and kings of war they really kind of compete with each other in the same sort of space Uh, You know, they're both fantasy skirmish games and they both have, you know, little warbands. Although your warbands in Relic Blade are going to be a little bit smaller uh, than the warbands in Vanguard. Now Vanguard, of course, it's got a lot more miniatures and things to choose from because it's set in that Kings of War... Universe. So if you have a Kings of War army, you can just grab like, you know, 10 models out of it, probably, and then you've got your warband. And in addition, it also has a campaign supplement that has a little bit more theme and narrative and stuff to kind of piggyback on top of the campaign that's built into the rulebook. And this actually does integrate a little bit more directly with that because you will kind of use and swap scenarios around. And I'll explain that in a second. And again, it does have cards for each of the units, they've got the points on the units. You can see all the special abilities and things like that there they've got the equipment card that's got all the points or the gold that you uh, need to spend to put it into your warband so just like relic blade there it's also got this cool thing where they release a small pack of cards you can see here it says version 1.1 on it so when they instead of releasing like a whole new book or a whole new edition or whatever, they just released a small pack of card that updates different units and warband abilities and all that stuff. And you can see very clearly if there's a 1.1 version of it, that's the card you should be using and it's super cheap. I think it's like eight bucks or something to get this. And so that's just a really cool, efficient, customer-friendly way to update the game. And here you can see the two warbands that I have, and it's got a similar approach where you can have sort of the evil side. You can see here the abyssal dwarves, or you can have the good side, and here I have the Basileans here. Now, obviously I just did a review of this two days ago, so I'm not gonna go too much into more details on mechanics and things, but I do wanna show you these dice. And these are the command dice. And these command dice are something that Mantic Games, who publishes this, has really made use of have in a lot of their miniature skirmish games starting with dead zone and then in the second edition they kind of moved to the dice and then in their walking dead skirmish games and now into vanguard although i don't know which came first uh, on as far as walking dead goes but uh, so you roll these dice at the beginning of the round and then they generate for you power points and action points that you can spend uh for different things so this is great because it gives you this other kind of resource again a resource to manage alongside in conjunction with the miniature tactics of the game and the but then they kind of double down on it with this game and they add that layer of fatigue so you can push sort of a figure to their limits and if you have enough power that maybe isn't so bad for you but you've got to really weigh those decisions and that just really kind of bakes itself into the game and sort of trying to read i want to say it's chess like but it's almost like almost more yomi like where you're trying to guess at what the other player might use that power for. So being kind of the first to pull the trigger to spend the power is a real interesting kind of uh, you know juggling act between the two players. Because I'm going to try to rush this guy over there, or they're alone. Do I have enough power to bring him back, or have them do extra dice in their attack, or you can use the power for all these different things. Again, I talked about it in the review just a couple of days ago. But that juggling act of active power and when to save it, when to keep it. Uh, you know, as I kind of played the game more, I kind of learned that, you know, sometimes in the first couple of games, the first round people like just kind of ignore power, but like, I don't think you should because there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with it sometimes. kind of depends on the scenario too. But that sort of cool mechanic there, it just, that just, it's very cool and different. And so I think it's really kind of the latest refinement of that sort of general principle that comes out of a lot of the Mantic games, a lot of their skirmish games. It's really it's really kind of doubled down. Um, and a lot of, of the character special abilities, for example, will use power. So there's a lot of things kind of tugging at this power resource you've got to really juggle. And then again, layer that on top of the tactics. Now, as far as the narrative and the mechanics goes, a lot, like a lot like uh, Relic Blade, it has really good solid rules for carrying you know, your battles through a campaign. And it gives you really more, in this case, more of like a toolkit or a tool set to mix and match the scenarios and it's probably even a little bit more narratively uh leaning than relic blade or relic Blade, you can kind of you can kind of weave that narrative in and they can have a winner of a campaign and stuff like that but this is more like set this scenario up set these branching trees up and they have specific rules for two three and four player uh campaign so it is kind of fixed at a maximum of a four-player campaign, but really, you're gonna get six people together, especially these days, to do a campaign and stick with it. You know, four is like the upper limit. Um, But they give you kind of these different approaches and say, okay, well, set this scenario up. And then you can say we're trying to defend this particular outpost, or you have this relic we're trying to take, or we're both trying to go to this, you know, far off land and both try to achieve this relic or this point. So it gives you kind of an idea to build out and use all the different scenarios. And then you can build to an eventual eventual winner and have branches and say, well, if you get down, you know, three games in, and then this person wins, then you can go down this path. So it gives you the tools for doing all that stuff, and it's very. Uh, it's got then eye towards narrative, which is what I really really like And it's got all that kind of other stuff that you would expect with like injuries and you know ranking up characters and all that kind of stuff uh, So I guess that, that's why I give it a little bit of the edge, you know Because it, it's kind of in the same ballpark as relic blade, but really it's kind of more of a mood thing honestly but anyway, that's my number two kings of war vanguard Uh, definitely check out the review of that. Of course, I'll have links to all the reviews of all these things that I've done over the last couple of years. Uh, But anyway, number two here is Necromunda. And this is, of course, the new edition of Necromunda. And I promise this is the last Games Workshop game on here. This is the third one. So there's been two editions of Necromunda. Never played the original. Absolutely love this one. They've kind of got their act together with the way the rule books are coming out. So there's a lot of supplements. There's actually way more supplements than you can see here, but they had this really wonky release schedule, which I don't want to get into that, but it wasn't good. Uh, now they've kind of got it under control, which makes a lot more sense. It's almost like they release codexes for the different uh, war bands. So if you have a war band, and you just want that one book, you can just get that. And of course the rule book and stuff. And I've got a few different gangs here. I'll just show you some pictures while I talk about the game. But Necromund is a different approach to the narrative than the last two games that I talked about It's really got like an absolute overload of narrative <laughs> Compared to just any game even the next game on the list uh, There's just so much to it that I think it's really like I said the we've really kind of tweaked how they approach the rule supplements because it's really more it's right on that edge of an actual RPG It's just right it's out of any game, it's right on that bleeding edge of RPG and miniature skirmish tactical game. You know, each of these books or these codexes, as I like to call them, they have so much for each of the different factions and the gangs, not just new abilities and all that stuff, but like different bases and different little plot lines and quest lines and things like that, that they can go on. And there's even rules for like special mercenaries. There's all kinds of background for them that you can bring in for a game and let go. And you can even have like little weird one-off gangs and all that kind of stuff. But the game really is asking players to set up a campaign and set up a story arc and set up a plot line for them to kind of go through. And that's done in this case by what's called the arbiter role. So he or she's gonna act as the dungeon master. So if I had to say anything about this game, this is absolutely not the beginner game. This is, would be the last game that you should get into out of all of this list unless, you know, obviously if you're into this kind of thing already, or are you just absolutely drawn to the theme and everything? Uh, Because there's so much going on beyond the skirmish and the tactical side. I mean, the battles themselves in a way are almost secondary to the rest of it. So the in-between game, it's at least equal to what's going on in the battles because you've got to deal with managing your different territories that you control, uh, the different hideouts and things like that, uh, you know, maintain maintaining kind of the health and lifestyle of your gangers. And there's just a lot of stuff and there's lots of different plot lines. And also just each of the different kind of factions has just little things that they are kind of going to be into. Similar, you know, in some way, in a very, very loose way to what's going on in Warcry, where you have kind of your own thing that you're doing. Uh, th- this, isn't, this isn't as decoupled, as separated from each other. Everything's still kind of, you're going to be fighting over the same territories and things here. But you have like your little objectives and things that you are going to be specific to you. They're going to get you bonuses and so on. And so in the larger story, kind of depending on how the battles go and how you kind of decide as a group of players with the arbiter, um, you know, where where the bonuses are coming from, because you're in this living, breathing underhive of, of a world where gangs are fighting over certain things and they're doing jobs for some of the higher ups. And so the arbiter can kind of act as those higher-ups and then also they can play in the games too because you're really playing this you really should in my opinion play this not competitively because this is probably although the number one game which I'll get to might fight it but I would say this one is more random uh, than any of these other games Um, because you can lose guys and the battles themselves are very delicate they're very brutal and you can, you can have this guy's die because it's life in the Underhive and life in Necromunda. You have to be very careful about it. So you can get to places, and I play games where it's like 10 minutes into the game or 15 minutes. I'm like, I'm going to bug out <laughs> because this is not going well. And that's going to end the game. So you have to be really willing to accept that brutality of it so in a ways it's almost like an unwieldy RPG where you have these battles and you got to set up all this terrain and skirmish stuff but you got to have folks around you that are willing to get into the story aspect of it and all of those RPG aspects to it now the in-battle mechanics are super crunchy like there's so many actions and things so like in Kings of War you have full actions and short actions and all this stuff this is all kinds of different styles of actions. And there's actions just for everything. So it's it's to that level of granularity and detail that an RPG might be in, where you're like you're climbing through vents or climbing this up and you know, all these kinds of things, and you're you're rolling to see if you have to reload your gun and all that kind of stuff. So it's very granular and peculiar. But that's what I like about it. And and it has that level of detail also carried to the in-between part, to the in-between parts of the campaign. And you can spend so much time Uh, You know adjusting your warband and stuff so because the game it could be like, you know 15 to 45 minutes uh, You've got the but you have to set up the terrain, you know Do all that kind of stuff and then in between games You don't want to just say well, I'll do that later like you have to kind of manage stuff uh, In between games so that's gonna take you another half an hour So really the, the amount of time that you spend playing with the figures and the models and stuff. It's a lot less than you might expect so i really like that i think that's neat and it it just it really kind of gets you into the the world and the crunchiness of it but you know this is like i'm kind of caveating this particular entry because this is going to be you're going to love this or you're just going to hate it um and i love the setting and the theme of this as well because you just it's like 40k but it's like real people not you know giant roided out super soldiers and space elf you know what i mean so obviously i still like that because i have killed him on this list but this is neat this is very just you know it's just regular people that are still have their own little quirky stereotypical kind of personalities and stuff like that um but anyway i definitely recommend people like look at necromunda but yeah it is a bear it is brutal but i think to me it's very rewarding uh in the way that you know it'll come across so anyway that's number two necromunda So we're gonna get to the last one here. This is gonna be, probably not surprised, but Frostgrave from Osprey Games. This is the second edition one. I just dropped a video yesterday about the changes from first to second edition. And similar to Relic Blade, Frostgrave has a very unique setting where there's a frozen city that's sort of thawing a little bit and all these wizards are making this mad kind of gold rush to uncover magical artifacts and new spells and everything like that. So you're a wizard leading a warband of just these scum buckets to help you kind of get your riches and get your magical powers more advanced. Now there is an alternate sort of universe thing set in sort of a different setting. Frostgrave Ghost Archipelago, I have all these, never played it, (laughs) but it's neat. Um, Some of the second edition stuff has incorporated some of the new mechanics from Ghost Archipelago. Uh, but these supplements here are all backwards compatible with the second edition. So if you got into it and had some of the expansions, you're fine if you pick up the new second edition book, which is great. There's even like a Frostgrave magazine called Spellcaster. You can get all this kind of stuff to it. But really the heart of the game is your warband and is your wizard and apprentice. So everybody else is kind of, you can kind of take or leap. You're in, unlike other games where you're kind of focused on the warband as a whole, you're focused just really on your wizard and by proxy, your apprentice. Everybody else you're just kind of hiring. They're they're like just tools in the toolkit. It's really a a single character, single player kind of focus there. All those soldiers and mercenaries and hired folks are just gonna kind of come and go. Although I should say some are more special than others, uh, especially with the second edition rules. So, you know, you might keep some around, but I wouldn't get too attached to them. Now the other characters uh, involved are gonna be kind of like the wandering monsters. And so, a lot of times in Frostgrave, you'll have monsters either pop up through the scenario, or as you kind of go through, and randomly, the game will generate monsters for you. And these just kind of add life and just make the game even more fun. Now, Relic Blade and Warcry also do this, uh, but this was the first game that that I played that had this, and this is just something I absolutely love when like a giant demon or troll shows up because you're in the ruins of this lost frozen city and you're like oh we woke up the troll then <laughs> we have to deal with that it just adds this cool kind of fun factor to the games and speaking of fun it's worth noting that this is a d20 system all of these other games are all usually in a 6 or there's custom dice or even a d8 system this one is a full-on d20 uh, game system And I love this about the game. I love the D20. Now, a lot of people, again, a kind of a caveat here, are gonna not like that because it's obviously gonna be more random than you know rolling like five D6s and then like allocating dice. You know what I mean? So this is gonna be a little more random, a little bit more D&D crazy feel to it. Uh, But I like that about it because it's going to, and just time and again, this just vomits narrative at me off the table because of the d20 because you might one time my wizard died uh he got knocked out in the game anyway because he just fizzled every time he tried to heal himself (laughs) because they can explode and you know do damage if you fail too much because he just was possessed or something or there was the demon was too close to him in that game that was sort of the narrative that sort of emerged out of that and he just you know he just jacked up his spell casting and then he got blown away by it so stuff like that is going to happen all the time and you got to be ready for that and willing for that to happen. But I love that about the game because it's it just it's one of those games where you like have to like, kind of like let go of winning. It's the same with Necromunda, but especially with this game as well. You have to kind of like let go of winning and let the kind of narrative and everything go through uh, and do what it's going to do. Uh, because it, it really, again, isn't, it shouldn't be played to win or win the campaign. It should be played in such a way to get together with your friends and play through a story and see what happened, right? And see who sort of, you know, if you want to play like the whole transcendence thing where you get to um, like level 20 and then, you know, you get the transcendence spell and you go to the next dimension or whatever, or with any of those supplements, kind of playing through a, a very strict kind of hard narrative grounded campaign then you can do that and you can just you'll have the stories to tell you that's what the game is about so again it's 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 that kind of bleeding edge between the rpg and the miniature tactile skirmish game now i think this even leans a little bit away from the rpg side as opposed to Necromunda, which is a little bit harder that way but i think that's a good thing in this case because this is definitely among the most simplest and efficient rule sets out of any of these on this list It is just such a breeze to play like i said earlier there'll be reviews for all these in the links below so if you want some more you know precise details about the mechanics but it's so easy to do you just move and roll your d20 if you're going to attack fight or cast a spell that's it (laughs) i mean it's just moving in a d20 but there's just so much cool stuff that's going to happen you know over the course of a game that just makes it so much fun and the in-game uh, you know bookkeeping part which is heavy in necromunda is not that heavy here i mean there's it's just like the perfect amount it's rather like you know kings of war vanguard is kind of the same idea here relic blade a little bit too um and probably war cry i guess but anyway so this is to me though has the perfect amount of in, in between game bookkeeping It's just enough to be interesting and cool. What treasure did you find? Oh, that's neat. Did this person die? What's their injury? Just enough of that to kind of get you into it and it work it out in such a way. Again, because the other characters besides your wizard aren't really that important, you don't have to have a headache of managing, oh, this one here, this one there, okay. How about, how about, no, you're fired (laughs) or you're dead and then we're gonna get some new folks. And the second edition really makes that even better, I think. Um, yeah, so to me, it's just that perfect balance across the board of streamlinedness, of crunchiness, of detail, of you know abstraction. It just blends all of that stuff really well. And it, again, it really leans in just far enough into the narrative to set up cool scenarios and things for you. Uh, But it it also allows the narrative to emerge enough. And I think I'm also going to say it's just because it's a D20. Not just because. Obviously, there's a lot of other decisions that were made. But it really lends itself to that. So it just has that perfect equilibrium of game magic, right? That will sort of breathe out or vomit out all of that narrative and that theme for you. So it's that perfect balancing act of all that stuff. Anyway, so that's that, so just so you know, so now we're gonna, that's that's my top 10 all the way through. Couple honorable mentions, which I said I would mention, I'll talk about it quickly about some other games, like why is that not on there? <laughs> well, I'll explain, maybe because I haven't played it, but um, it's kind of the sister game to Frostgrave here is Rangers of Shadow Deep, which is a lot like Frostgrave, but it's a solo co-op Frostgrave, and it's not heavy on magic, it's more heavy on, it's probably more like D&D, than Frostgrave is because it's you got skills and like acrobatics checks and all that kind of stuff. Um, this game, I really, I didn't want to put it in there because it, it's a skirmish game, it's a solo co-op skirmish game. Um, and this is, this is I like this section more than Frostgrave, but um, just because I, I had a chance to play it a lot more because I just could just play by myself. Um, but definitely just wanted to mention that. But I was trying to do, you know, the traditional two versus, or one versus one skirmish stuff. So I wanted to mention Rangers Shadow Deep, awesome. There's lots of supplements for that too. And then as well, I'm gonna show you here just a couple of books here, um, and I'll throw pictures up so you can see them in detail. Uh, there's some of them that you can see here from Osprey Games. And these are Reality's Edge, Scrappers, and Zona Alpha. And then there's a couple here, not from Osprey. Uh, this Is Not a Test, and Star Breach. And I've had a chance to just kind of play around with some of these and some of these I've just read the rule book, like Reality's Edge, it's a huge rule book and I read that thing cover to cover and it looks awesome. And what I wanna do is these games, a lot like Frostgrave, where you can, you just get the book, doesn't give you miniatures or dice and there's no box to buy or anything, but you can take your figures from anywhere and mix and match them and play what you want. So for example, Reality's Edge, I could see that being played on Coruscant in the Star Wars universe um, because there's this like weird, like cyberpunk special powers, like a Shadowrun kind of vibe to it. And you can almost like turn that into Jedi powers and uh, so you can mix Star Wars characters with uh, Necromunda characters and that kind of stuff or like Scrappers, which is really like a reimagined Necromunda rule set with D10s instead of D6s. Um, Star breach, this is not a test so you can take figures from all these games that i've just talked about uh mostly sci-fi games and throw them in and you've got this like reusable game component that you can just get you know get a book for 15 30 bucks or whatever and replay them um so these are just nice to have extra things i just want to kind of give an honorable mention to that because osprey specifically you can go dig in and find other games other fantasy games and then use those miniatures that you got for Frostgrave and stuff and just have a, just a cool system and a cool uh, Toolbox of stuff to just dive into with you and some friends. I Just wanted to kind of make a shout out there now. There's a couple other games. I want to mention uh, Just just as an honorable mention uh, Malifaux is a game that I know people will make comment on I know I'm gonna get comments because no, not everybody's gonna watch to this point in the video <laughs> But Malfo is a great game. I really like it uh, played it a couple times at a convention it's good i just it's not you know it's not on my list i'll, I'll get that in a minute war machine which i i kind of call war machine a skirmish game because you the the one time i played it um it was you know just a couple of figures i don't remember it was like four or five figures per side uh guild ball which is now dead which sucks but um i actually prefer this, that to war machine although I can see some of the reasoning they explained to why they killed the game off with how the rule set sort of evolved or devolved into a really boring tactical keep away game. I understand that, I can see that. Um, But I like those games too. Uh, Then Infinity, which invariably I can probably count the three people that will mention Infinity (laughs) all because they always mention it when I talk about the style game, but didn't really enjoy that game. Um, So a lot of times though, like i said at the beginning the theme the aesthetics the model quality all that kind of stuff the packaging and how easy it is to get into that's really informing a lot of this for me and some of these other games i didn't really dig into that too much but i'm sure they're fine games Uh, now there's a couple here that i want to try but again it's kind of this thing so if you can see these, all of these are fantasy or sci-fi or whatever and so i can take terrain which takes up space and models in some of the cases, you know, like I said with scrappers or whatever, and use them and not eat up clauses and clauses of storage space because I have that sci-fi or fantasy stuff. And so all those models can be reused and shared across everything, which is just great about a skirmish game. And that's a one thing one thing a skirmish game or a skirmish style approach to the miniature life kind of has, is you can reuse these components and do interesting things with them but there's two games that are neat that I want to look at, but I don't really want to look at. <laughs> but they look good, and I wanted to give them a mention. There's a, there's a crisis protocol, the Marvel Crisis Protocol, which is from kind of Fantasy Flight Games, but also from somebody else. I can't remember. And that looks like a really cool superhero skirmish game, but then that would require like modern terrain. And I don't, but the other sort of knock against that one is how do you build a cool war band that makes sense other than just like the you know mixing matching heroes and villains and stuff randomly like so the narrative part that i've been kind of harping about on my list is i feel like that would just evaporate for me whereas something like when i'm playing marvel champions the card game or some other game for some reason in that format of game it's a little easier for me to get into that sort of just throwing okay the hulk and the punisher are together because la, you know so that It Looks neat mechanically, but the narrative part seems sort of tacked on and I don't know how much narrative and stuff They have in there. I don't know. It just seems strange, but it does look like a neat mechanical game now the flip side of that the Dracula's America, which is an Osprey game looks really cool I really like the theme and stuff of that one from the other side of it Um, But again the terrain and the miniature line and all that kind of stuff is not really something that I can really mix around with so yeah, so those those but that those two games look really cool, but I don't know that I ever really want to play them. That's all I want to say. So if you if you have like a inkling for a superhero skirmish game, Marvel Crisis Protocol looks neat, and Dracula's America looks just if you want like an old west one. Yeah, that looks cool. I don't know, something something about that looks really neat. But anyway, so that's the top ten. Kind of want to just go over all that. I know I've been promising this video for a while, and so hope you enjoyed it. There'll be links to all the reviews and stuff in the description. I think that's all i got to really say about this. Um, yeah. So any questions or comments, throw out the recommendations. You know, I know there's some that I haven't looked at. I've looked at like all of them. I went through and like looked at Song of Blades and all these other different ones. And um, But again, I just try to have that criteria for myself, you know, to see what is worth keeping around or not. Anyway, so that's the top 10 list. Thanks.